It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Francis, who, much like Frank Sinatra, is celebrating a birthday today. Unlike Frank Sinatra, Connie Francis still happens to be alive. I, I thought about trying to get Connie Francis on this show uh, these days, and uh, she's clearly, she's a great talent, and I've enjoyed many of her interviews over the years with people like uh, Joe Franklin and others, but I've heard her on a couple of other shows. I heard her on Cousin Brucie. I heard her on Tony Orlando. And honestly, she did not sound... Great. I hope she's still in good health. You know, your voice can go at certain times. Even James Earl Jones, a guy with the best voice maybe in history and certainly one of the most recognizable. I've heard that his voice is starting to go, which is a real shame, but that just happens with age. Speaking of the voice, there is nobody that is a greater authority in the world of spoken word radio than Brian Rosenwald, particularly the nexus between the world of talk radio and the world of electoral politics. He is not only a political and media historian, he is also the author of the, the really the best book on talk radio that I've ever read, Talk Radio's America. Brian, it is great to talk with you again. It's been way too long. Thanks for joining me. It has been, Frank. And here I am. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, now i got to bring Frank down to work and renovating my kitchen. (laughs) I'm happy to be hired, Brian. Just understand I'm going to outsource this to somebody that actually knows what they're doing. I might call my dad. You and me both. Yeah, my dad's a retiree. He knows what he's doing. I could probably hire him to do it. Uh, It might might work out well. Um, Brian, first, let me get your take. We've been talking a little bit about the situation involving Kirsten Cinema and her switch to being an independent. I thought your column uh, in your Substack uh, piece, which I want to encourage people to subscribe to, I'm going to ask you how to do it, The World According to Brian. I thought it was really interesting and right on the money. Give me your overall impressions of this switch to uh, being an independent from Senator Cinema. The bottom line is I've never seen a situation quite like this where she's basically a liberal. And she dissented on a few issues and did it with some flair and infuriated the base. It started with a vote against um, a procedural vote on raising the minimum wage to to overrule the the Senate parliamentarian and how they could go about doing it. It's real technical, but she curtsied. And the left absolutely hit the roof over that. And it's continued where every time she does anything they don't like, they just start spewing anger. Um, even though, you know, she's led to a lot of achievements for President Biden. You know, first major gun control um, uh, bill in 20 years. She was responsible for that. The Respect for Marriage Act that just passed, she was one of the lead negotiators on that. I mean, she might even, the, the irony of this is she might turn around, become an independent, and then get legal status for dreamers before the year's out. It's not impossible that that happens. She's trying to negotiate for that. So I, I didn't totally get it, but the, the bottom line is 
the left really, really hates her, and she probably wasn't going to win a primary. And, you know, Arlen Specter was the only one who was honest about this, maybe, uh, I guess that was 09, so like 13 years ago, where he said, look, I'm not going to let Republican primary voters determine my fate after all these decades, so I'm switching parties. And I, I think that that's what's happening here. Now, the, the problem she has, Frank, is that Arizona is not Connecticut. You were talking about Lieberman. And what, what Lieberman was able to do is because the Republican Party in Connecticut wasn't particularly strong. And they basically said, to, you know, their voters, you know, go, go vote for Lieberman. He's better than the other guy. Um, the problem in Arizona is their Republican Party is to the right of the right. And in a three-way race, you know, it's a state that's just becoming more competitive. I don't see how she or a liberal Democrat wins in a three-way race against a conservative or right-wing Republican like Harry Lake. Well, so it would seem – by the way, why was that curtsy such a big deal? Was it because it kind of reaffirmed gender stereotypes? Is that the story there? I mean who cares if someone I mean, curtsy? I I really don't know. I, I suspect it has something to do with the fact that she's a young woman and we don't see too many of those you know, um, in, in politics. There's AOC, but there aren't that many of them who grab headlines – and I, I think that the, there was some of that, along with the fact that, you know, cinema is really unique. Most senators, Frank, would run you over. They're, they're better than the best, you know, Derrick Henry style running back in the NFL. They'd run you over to get to a microphone or a camera. And <laughs> she doesn't want to talk to the media. She doesn't want to do events with her constituents, you know, town halls and things. And so th- there's like this mystique about her. And it let people read into it whatever they wanted. And she has this flair, the way she dresses, you know, the, 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 the eyewear. Curtsy, um, the eyewear, she was wearing the wigs during COVID so that people could identify her like pink wigs and purple wigs and things. She has some fun with things. And, you know, I, I think she's got this adversarial relationship. Uh, Sasha Eisenberg has written a book on gay marriage. Um, and, and she was an advocate uh, decades ago in Arizona on this and got into it with the base over strategy. So there may be some some build up bad blood there, but I'd never really got it because, you know, she she votes with Biden more than right. Bernie Sanders does. Um, you know, she, she's not someone where you could say, oh, this person is, you know, she's not even one of us. She's a Democrat in name only, you know, the way they call people Republicans in name only. The other thing that I, I throw out there is the, the system that they've implemented in Alaska, um, this ranked choice voting system is exactly the kind of thing that helps a politician like her. And it, it is would be an innovation that I think we're going to see more of because I think most people tend to be a little bit center-right or a little bit center-left, and they don't like a system where either the, the furthest you know, right 12% of the electorate or the furthest left 12% of the electorate who shows up sure. in, a, in a primary determines who represents it. I mean, you know, realistically, she's been a pretty good senator. She's helped get things done, and she doesn't want to go out there and, and you know, scream about other people and, and divide us and, and you know create headlines she, she'd rather put her nose to the grindstone and get things done mm. um we could do a whole hour just on kirsten cinema but i want to pick your brain on a few other things one uh, a couple of months ago we played that uh ted Kumpel piece on cbs sunday morning that you were featured in on the state of talk radio i, I don't think there's any way to view that as anything but 
an incredibly negative slant on talk radio and its impact in America. You were featured in that. Now, I've been interviewed for pieces like this, and they talk to you for 45 minutes or an hour, and they use maybe 45 seconds and to fit whatever narrative they've already crafted. I'm curious, what did you think of uh, how that piece came out, and what did you think of the editorial bent of that piece? Well, you're exactly right, Frank. I think I actually recorded for that for two hours. Two hours? Um, okay. And, yeah, yeah. We sat there and talked to, to Jim Axelrod for two hours. I mean, I've done a bunch of this in the last year. People were mad at me about a Vice show, uh, an episode of Dark Side of the 90s on Rush Limbaugh. And I said, you know, I recorded with them for five hours. And once that's over, they, they can do with it what they want in editing. It's their editorial voice, not mine. Certainly, the CBS you know, segment, that they, the whole special was designed to focus on polarization and are we being ripped apart and things like that. So it looked at the most negative element of talk radio. And I will say that I have a more negative you know, impression of most talk radio today than I did when I started researching it. I think it's gotten harder edge. I think, frankly, that, that you, Frank, are, are the epitome of what this ought to be. You have fun. You have, you're entertaining people, you know, you have people on from all political perspectives, but there are a lot of people who we don't get a lot of that, um, who are either interested in being extremists and stoking things, um, or alternatively, who are pushing misinformation about things. You know, Carrie Lake just filled in on talk radio last week. Um, I mean, that, that woman, I, I just don't even, I don't think she says anything that's true half the time. You know, it's just she's not good for American politics. So I do think that there is something to what they're saying, that this traps people in these echo chambers and gets them ginned up emotionally, because frankly, it makes for good radio. It's good. You know, people don't want to hear something boring and sedate. They want to hear something fun and lively. They want to hear something that has a little bit of a soap opera element, good versus evil. So I think that it's good business to be hard edged um, on these things and to, to make people feel hurt. And the people who are listening in a lot of cases are very, very angry and they're very, very upset. So th- there's much more nuance than could be captured in any little segment. Um, and, and I do think that the people you know need to understand about any television thing that you do, they are clipping a very small percentage sure. of what you said. But you know, I do think that we need more of you and less of some of the, the biggest names in talk radio who at this point are less, you know, Rush Limbaugh in terms of his level of talent and his ability to entertain and more people who are polemicists, more people who are interested in getting people angry and worked up. And it's not great for America. Well, first of all, I thank you for the compliment, but I would uh, differ that we do not need more of me because there's a reason, you know, I'm such a hot commodity is because I'm one of the few out there like me. So we we, we, we want few Frank Morano imitators out there. <laughs> Last thing I need is to be uh, c- competing with some uh, roadside uh, Frank Morano. All right. Uh, there was this um, there was a bunch of fascinating articles this week, and I'm sure you had this. I certainly did. This was an article that, no exaggeration, in the last 48 hours, no fewer than a dozen people had emailed to me about the nature of AM radio in electric cars. They're saying that because of electric vehicles, which are becoming more and more popular, either because of gas prices or being environmentally conscious or because of state mandates in places like California and New York, electric cars may stop offering 
AM radio. I think this is awful. I think this is a disaster. I think it's a disaster for people in terms of uh, what to do in the case of an emergency. I think it's a disaster uh, not only because I'm a fan of AM radio, but because of all the unique programming that's offered on AM radio. Uh, Have you seen this story, Brian, and what's your take on it? I haven't seen the story, although I, I can relate to it because I'm trying to get a new stove. And we've been looking at an induction stove, and not every type of pot works with an induction stove. Mm. I'm sitting there with a magnet on the bottom of the pots. So it, it's sort of the same thing. They have all this newfangled technology that, that doesn't work with the old classics. What I would say about AM radio, um, if it isn't in, in electric cars, is that it, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, I've said for a long time that AM radio's future is a little bit iffy um, as a delivery mechanism. I don't think the content is going anywhere. I think that the programs, the talk radio programs that have dominated AM radio for 30 plus years are are going to be with us in one shape or form going forward. I I do think that, you know, every time you and I talk that this is kind of a plea to the industry to save AM radio, to save FM radio long term. We need station owners to invest in their stations. We need station owners to understand that what those stations have is a local stick that the delivery mechanism is is locally based and that allows them to be community hubs in a way that i don't think the digital world can fulfill as easily and if they take advantage of that then and they show real value then i can tell you that your your average consumer is not going to settle for a car that doesn't get am radio if however you know here in philadelphia there is very little local locally based programming on the AM dial. Most of the, the, the local talk stuff that is, you know, local is, has migrated to FM. The new station has migrated to FM after decades. Um, you know, AM is, is often largely syndicated stuff. So long as you have that and, and you have people who don't even know how to turn on AM radio. I, I got in my car a couple of months ago, Phillies are playing and they're usually on an FM station and uh, that there must've been Eagles game on or something and I get in the car and I'm fumbling around trying to figure out how to get the AM dial on because there hasn't, there really isn't anything unique here in, in most cases. So I think that that is really the key to saving AM. Now, did, Frank, did you see the uh, New York Times story on the Daily Wire the other day? Yes, yes, I saw that. That relates to to this um, in my thinking because people, there was a, a quote in there from someone saying, you know. Their demographics skew pretty young, and, and that always surprises people. And, and I actually have this in my Substack notes column tomorrow, explaining that realistically, to succeed in um, you know for for AM talk radio stations in major markets, it's always been you need like three to five percent of the marketplace. Well, even if you look at the most kind of pro democratic exit polling from the election, it showed about you know twenty eight point um, lean among younger voters towards the Democrats, and that leaves like 35% of young voters feeling kind of alienated. You know, mm-hmm. two-thirds of their peers don't agree with them. They're afraid to say what they think in a lot of cases because they're worried about getting ostracized or you know, having people call them a bigot of one type or another. And so they're looking for content that valorizes their views that sounds like them. And so they're going to things like The Daily Wire. And The Daily Wire basically, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro is the, the most famous you know, guy related to that. It's basically AM talk radio translated to a digital age. Um, the, the content is there. Now they're branching out into entertainment and other things, but I, I think that content is going to be with us. 
But I do think it's an open question of whether the AM stick survives all, all the new technology and the phones and the podcasts, you know, especially because realistically AM radio, you know, you, you listen to your favorite podcast. There's, you know, two or three minutes of commercials. AM radio, it's it's like 22 minutes well, now. I, I, see, the difference with podcasting then, then, though, and we have a lot of listeners who listen to this show on podcasts. So, And I listen to a lot of different podcasts uh, to scratch a, a, a niche itch that might not be served by terrestrial or even satellite radio. But um, they can offer live programming, live news and analysis and caller reaction. If there's uh, a, um, a volcano or an earthquake or, God forbid, a terrorist attack right now, we can find someone there and broadcast live about what's happening and have instant real-time reaction. That is, that's not present in the world of podcasting yet. That's absolutely true. That, that's what I'm saying. If radio executives, um, especially at the big radio companies, understand that they have an asset that can be live and local right. and, and a right. community hub then they have something that's not going to go away because you can't do interactive, you know, call-ins easily um, with a, a podcast. That's absolutely true. And you, you really, it's harder to be locally based and, and to build that up. Um, but, you know, in, in some of these markets, once you get to nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, there is no more yep, local no, programming I, for the day. I agree with you. Know, you. The- it's, it's, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. Talking with Brian Rosenwald. Brian, tell people um, how they can subscribe to your Substack. It's brianrosenwald.substack.com, and, and essentially what it is, I'm writing a, a notes column early in the week, either Monday or Tuesday every week, because I grew up loving the Sunday baseball notes column that I used to steal from my dad's Sunday paper, um, and, and I just think it's cool to hit on a bunch of different topics that came up during the week, and it's my analysis on politics and sports, and then later in the week, I usually have a, a longer piece, and then we have something like the, the cinema switch on Friday, I'll write something extra. And I'm actually going to start doing some podcasting over time with that, um, trying to come up with new things for subscribers, uh, especially for paid subscribers. But most of the content is is free. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just a chance to get a take that I, I feel like there's not enough people who, who just call them like they see them and, and aren't necessarily ideological. Oh. And I'm trying to, to help people understand things. I'm trying to give them something to think about. Some days I'm ripping the Democrats. Some days I'm ripping the Republicans. Um, and it's been kind of fun to, yeah, to have no, a couple I, I think it's great. I think it's absolutely terrific. Only have a minute or two left, but I want to try and do a lightning round on a couple of different quick topics with you. Uh, as we talk about the twilight of AM radio possibly approaching, a lot of people credit Rush Limbaugh in the late 80s, early 90s as being a person who saved the AM band. No one has listened to, studied, and written more about Rush Limbaugh on his show than you. Is that accurate? Did Rush Limbaugh save the AM band? Absolutely, yes. Without him, we wouldn't even be having this conversation about AM radio because it looked like it was dead 40 years ago. Mm. Um, You know, it it really did. Early 80s, music sounded better on FM, and they needed some sort of unique programming because the listeners and the advertisers were all going to FM. You have written in your book a lot about how Donald Trump benefited from the talk radioization of the Republican Party. Now, Ron DeSantis seems to be a uh, a favorite. I can tell you just by people that call the show, a favorite with a lot of the talk radio audience and even some of the people that are on talk radio. How would a Trump-DeSantis matchup fare given the prominent role that the talk radio gets to play in the GOP these days? I think talk radio wants to be with DeSantis, just like a lot of hosts were with Ted Cruz in 2016, um, until their listeners kind of pulled them towards Trump. 
I'm not 100% sure DeSantis runs just because given his age, given the American um, political itch to change parties every eight years, he may feel like politically he's better off waiting for 2028. And that would, would avoid the, the Trump you know, battle royale because God knows it'll be an ugly mudslinging mm. contest. But I do think that there will be an attraction and DeSantis will spend a lot of time on conservative media. And he, like Trump, fits the medium very well. Brian Rosenwald, it is always a a treat to talk with you. I hope people check out your book, Talk Radio's America, more relevant today than ever. And uh, they can also check out your website, brianrosenwald.com. Highly recommend people subscribe to your Substack. Thanks, Brian. My pleasure, Frank. We'll do it again soon. Absolutely. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.